you open your Bibles up with me, it's the book of 1 Timothy. Chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. It's here on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. It says this, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Little did you know fact this morning. Did you know the world's 225 richest people now have a combined wealth of $1 trillion? The top 225 people in the world. That's equal to the combined annual income of the world's 2.5 billion poorest people. The top 225 people combined are richer than the bottom third of the world combined. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever dreamt about winning the lottery? I mean, honestly. Have you ever thought about... Man, if I just, especially when it's like 250 million and up in the, those huge numbers, and you're like, oh, if I could just win that, my life would be set. And do you ever think about what you might do with it? I mean, I do. I dream about it. The only problem is I can't win because I never play. Um, <clears throat> but that, that's beside the point. I think about, man, if I, if I just had $250 million, we wouldn't have to meet in a school anymore. That's the first thing I think about. I think about how great that would be and how I'd get myself out of debt and get all my friends out of debt and then still have money to go sponsor a child or do whatever it might be. And you think about those kind of things and we think about what if I just had a lot of money? And we think about these 225 people that have a total combined net worth of $1 trillion. That's just mind-boggling. I mean, that's a thousand billion, <laughs> you know what I mean, which is just unbelievable. And we look at that and we think about that and we think, if I were only that rich, I would do things and I would give money and I would, I, I just can't though. And as we look, I'm not sure if you guys have been following at all, it was really funny to me when the NFL lockout was going on, it was on every news station all the time, it was the number one story on, on, uh, on SportsCenter. If you pay any attention to the NBA lockout, not so much. And I'm not sure if it's because people actually care about the NFL or because, you know, there's something about that. But there's something about the fact that there's all these players, and in, in both leagues, you know, NBA not, not secluded, that, that they're the problem child here. But you know how much money that they make and that they're complaining about not getting now? And, and most, if not all, the players have didn't come from wealth, so it wasn't like they're, they're being taken away. It's that all of a sudden there's not money, that extra money that's there. And I think I have a solution to it. I think that instead of the owners and the players fighting over who gets the money left in between, they should just donate that money to charity and everybody be happy with what they've got. I think that'd be a good, good solution. Then NBA can start playing. Not that I care that much anyway. I enjoy college basketball much more than professional. But if there's nothing else on TV, I'll watch it. So the... Uh, the idea is, is let's just get past the fact that, that we're uh, losing out in some way, shape, or form. And, and that's a, a problem where we get. 
get to. And, you know, I don't know if that would be a good thing if I walked into the mediation of that and said, hey, guys, what we're going to do here instead is all the money you're arguing about, we're just going to give to charity and you guys are both out. I don't think anybody's going to say, that's a great idea, Matt. Thank you for coming in and clarifying for us on how we need to do this. Um, and the thing is, is for some reason, I think rich people don't like to give. Rich people don't like to give. And maybe it's because Paul, they haven't read this, this passage in 1 Timothy 6, where it says, teach those who are rich in the world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is unreliable. But tell them to use their money to do good, to be rich in good works. Somehow or another, they've missed that. And maybe part of the reason why they're rich is because they don't give their money. I mean, that, that would make sense. You know, they, they learn to hold on to their money and they do that. Since none of us are there, since none of us are at that point, but someday we'd all like to be at that point of being rich, um, what I want to do today is I want to, we're calling this Hope Sunday. And I want to practice being rich today. And I want to take it over this week and into the next couple of weeks. And hopefully it will be a practice that we can make uh, continually so that that one day that we are rich, we won't ever have a problem with giving. And we won't ever have a problem getting to that point. And of course, in reality, all of us sitting in this room are rich. We may not think it, but we are. Did you know that after watching that video, you know, you see people in a dirt hut, and, and people dying of AIDS, and, and most, of them, most of them could have been prevented at some point in time with, with just a small vaccine ahead of time, but they didn't even have the money to, to have that cheap thing, you know, clean drinking water, all those things that we take for granted here that they don't have. Um, people who feel as if they're not rich here in America, did you know that those that are at the poverty line or below, 95% have a refrigerator, a TV, a stove, an oven, and a microwave? Those are people that are under the poverty line. 70% have more than one TV, have cable and satellite, and have a cell phone. 65% have a DVD player, a clothes washer, and a clothes dryer. 50% have a computer and internet, and 30% have at least one video game console in their house. And that's our poverty people. That's the people that, that don't make a lot, according to it. But there's something you need to know. If you make $50,000 a year as a combined household income, you are in the top 1% of all the money makers in the entire world. Top 1% if your family income is $50,000. And you're like, well, that's a lot of money, especially high schoolers. No way I'm ever going to make $50,000. Drop it all the way down to the view you just had a minimum wage job, minimum wage job, and you worked full-time, 40 hours a week, you're roughly going to make about $15,000 in a year, give or take. That's at seven twenty-five an hour. You are still in the top 12% of the entire world's wealth. Top 12% wealthiest people in the entire world. If you're making minimum wage in America. It kind of blows you away just a little bit when we say we're not very rich. More than one half of the world's people live below the internationally defined line of poverty, which is less than $2 a day, 2 U.S. dollars a day. That includes 97% of Uganda, 80% of Nicaragua, 66% in Pakistan, and 47% in China. That really is kind of a crazy thing to think about. That there's people all over the world that are like that. Now, I'm going to ask you how rich you are. And we're going to kind of determine it by raising your hand. Does anybody in here have money 
in their wallet or purse right now? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, does anybody in here know exactly how much money you have in your wallet or purse right now? See, not that many of you know how exactly how. You know you have money, but you don't know how, exactly how much. Do any of you in here have an ashtray in your car that is full of coins? Or some part in your car, you have a little change purse, something like that. You have a bunch of coins in, in your car. Okay? Anybody know exactly how much? No. Okay. <laughs> Anybody in your, we have a jar that's right inside the door of our house that when we have pocket change, we always drop it in there. Maybe you have a jar, maybe you have a little coin counter, maybe you have something, a, a little dish inside your house that you have change in. Anybody have one of those in their house? Okay. Anybody know exactly how much is in it? Okay. Let me tell you, if we were to find rich people, if you were to define them, my guess is our definition would go something like the fact that they have more money than they know what to do with. That would be the definition of rich. Would you define having money in a trash can in your car and not knowing how much is in there, would you define that as being maybe just not knowing what to do with it? Maybe the same thing about having a whole jar full of change. I mean, every once in a while I'll cash in that jar and there'll be $25, $30 worth in there. If I have to go get a gallon of milk and don't want to use debit, I'll dig a couple of quarters out and go get a gallon of milk. Or if I have to go get a Sonic iced tea or something like that, you know, those are the things that's for. I mean, I, I would bet that you're in the same boat. But we don't even realize how rich we are that we just have money laying around and we don't ever use it. I would be willing to bet that what you have laying around is more than what a lot of people make in a day. That 50% of the, of the world's population that makes less than $2 a day. It's kind of a mind-blowing thing to think about. And that's the reason why today I want to practice being rich. I want to practice being rich because if you raise your hand at any point in time, you are rich. You may not think it. Your bills may outweigh your, uh, your income, but you're still rich. We don't feel rich because our mindset is we need to have more money than we think we need. And for most of us, the only time that's ever happened in our life was the day that you got your first paycheck from your first job. Do you remember, remember your first paycheck from your first job? I worked at a movie theater in Glendale, Arizona, and I'll never forget the first paycheck I got. I went to a car wash and got my car washed by like a, it, it was an octopus-style car wash. I was so excited I didn't have to wash my own car that I had money that I could pay somebody else to do it. It was a Ford Festiva. It was awesome. It was the greatest day of my life. I'll never forget... I've worked in youth ministry for a long time, but ran into a, a kid that was in the youth ministry, and he was working at McDonald's on Southern there in Western Hills. And I didn't know he worked there, but he was in, in the drive-thru, and he'd only been there for a couple of weeks. His name was Jacob. I'm like, Jacob, how you liking, how, how you liking your job? He was like, I just got my first paycheck, $237. He's like, I'm freaking rich. And I was like, wow, I wish I had that same mentality. It was just, I mean, he was so excited about, about a $237 paycheck, and yet we don't get excited about that stuff. And I think the reason why is because you have no responsibilities. Maybe you have a payment for car insurance, maybe a car, something like that, but very little, and it, it's, it's your money, and that makes it rich because you don't know what to do with it. You have more money than you know what to do with. And somehow we get past that, and somehow that we lose that perspective. Those days are long gone for most of us, and since we feel, don't feel rich, what I want to do is I want to practice being rich so that way when that day comes and we realize that we are, 
It'll change our perspective on everything. And today is Hope Sunday, and we have a handful of different organizations that if you look inside your bulletin there, we have a handful of different organizations that we are, we are going to work on, um, on supporting. And um, the one thing that I, I want to do is, is I want to start by practicing giving, whether it be our finances or our physical abilities or whatever it might be, to some of these organizations. And, and I, I want to take this time, and I really want it to become a tradition for us, that in November and in December, we, we take time to focus on people outside of us. Because it seems like these times of year is when we really turn the focus onto us, on what I want for Christmas and what I want for this. And instead, I want to I change our thinking and our focus. And, you know, I, I want to do it as a church. And some of you might say, well, why don't we just... Why don't we just start a bunch of ministries and start a food pantry and start a clothes closet and start all these different things? And I'll tell you why we don't do it. Um, number one reason is this. We have a rifle approach to ministry. And if you know the difference between a rifle and a shotgun, a shotgun has, sends out a blast and a rifle is pinpoint. And very much so, from the very beginning when, when God called me to start this and, and I started discussing it with people and telling people where we were at, we had five different areas of ministry that we wanted to focus on. One is where we're at right now, the worship service and the worship area. Two is youth, three is children, four is our connection groups, and five is missions. Those are the five areas that we want to focus on all the time and make sure we're right there. And some of you say, well, okay, well, if we're doing missions, well, why don't we just include missions, that whole umbrella, and say, okay, now we can do the food pantry, and now we can do this, and now we can, you know, and, and run all those things out there. What I want to do is... Um, I also, in, in what we want to do, is I don't ever want to compete with other churches. I don't want to try and outdo them and take people from them or take away from their ministry. And there's a lot of great churches and a lot of great organizations that have food pantries and closed closets. And, and uh, you know, there's CareNet Pregnancy Center that you'll see inside your thing. We, we're not going to do those things because they're already being done very effectively. But what we are going to do as a church is we're going to come alongside them and we're going to support them and we're going to help them however we can. And right now, because we're a small church, I mean, we're a, we're a church startup. We don't have a building. We don't have the ability to have, even if we wanted to do all those things, we don't have the abilities, really. We don't have time. We don't have staff. And we don't have, um, we don't have a, a building to do all that. But as we're this small church and as we're kind of a startup, what I want to do is I want to come alongside these people. And, and uh, there's a, a handful of different videos that I'm just going to introduce to you this morning throughout the message, and, and I want to show one of them uh, right now. So, Corey, why don't you go ahead and run that one for us? There are places where being a Christian means torture, months of solitary confinement, the agony of brainwashing. This is the experience of Christianity for thousands of people around the world, and it's happening today. Pastor Hua Hoichi knows persecution well. He was recently arrested again. His family's been harassed by the Chinese authorities constantly, and even his own mother was released from prison just a little while ago. Miriam and Marzea two young Christian women who are being held in Avon prison in Iran right now because of their faith. 
This is Lydia Degal and her five-year-old son, Ovid. In 2008, Lydia's husband, who's a pastor, was murdered by radical Hindus. In Pakistan, 20-year-old Sandal Bibi and her father, Gulshar Masai, have been imprisoned on charges of blasphemy for their bold witness in Christ. This is what's left of the Fushan Church in Shanxi province of China. That was until a mob of 400, including Chinese officials, barged in during worship and assaulted the believers that were gathered there. 20 police officers burst in on a worship service in this church in Tashkent, Uzbekistan. They arrested seven members and confiscated all of the Christian literature. If all this weren't enough, in 2008 alone, more than 150,000 people died for their faith in Christ. Meeting together in basements, in the woods, sometimes daring to preach on a street corner, these faithful souls counted the cost and persisted in their Christian witness, knowing full well the outcome of their actions. So are Christians still persecuted today? The answer for two-thirds of the world's population is yes. The question is, what are the rest of us going to do about it? What will we do? And the answer to that question is we're going to come alongside them financially and physically. And I'll tell you why. The reason why I want to do this, the reason why isn't to get some sort of notoriety, isn't to try and make ourselves feel better about ourselves, but it's this. We need to show Jesus to the world. We need to show Jesus to our community. And I want people to see Paragon Church, and I want people to see all churches, but especially Paragon Church since that's us. I want them to see us as compassionate. I want them to see us as generous. I want them to see us as caring. And I want them to see us that we are glad to be a part of the community. That we're not just closed off to them. They may not agree with everything we teach. They may not like our lifestyle. They might like, not like the style of our church in, in general. They might not, not even like God. But I want to make sure they cannot say that we, our church, is a drain on the community. Because it seems like so many people... And maybe you're thinking it already this morning, because I've already talked about giving, and I hope you don't have this thought, but so many people outside the church and inside the church think the church is only there to get something from them. But I want people to understand the church is here to give something to them, to do something for them. And that's what we're here for. We're about reaching out. You realize that the first century church, the one that got started after Jesus was crucified and rose again, they didn't have a big influential member in the government to spread Christianity. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have churches. They didn't have amphitheaters to preach a message to get it out there. They didn't have radio broadcasts. They didn't have websites. They didn't have any of those things. You know how the word got spread? Because they showed love and they lived a life that was able to be called a follower of God. That's how Christianity spread. And you may or may not know this, but they loved Jesus and they wanted to share it with everyone. You know, we talked about that last week with the gratitude and how those people reacted uh, during the Oprah giveaway and how we're giving away so much more than Oprah could ever do, yet we don't have any sort of reaction that's even close to that about how excited we are that we have Jesus in our lives. That church... That first century church, they didn't wait for people to come to them and they didn't sit in church and wait for visitors. 
They went out and they showed the love of Jesus, and that was their platform. And in a Roman culture, it was completely opposite of that type of thinking. Anybody remember studying Roman and uh, Greek gods in high school? If you remember anything about that, their whole premise was is that human beings were playthings. Human beings were worthless and they were used as pawns. And that was the idea of a Greek and Roman god-like system. And of course, the followers took that. So this culture, we've talked about it before, but this culture was all about worthless people. Everybody around you is worthless. Girls were the most worthless. If a family had a baby and they didn't want to take care of it because it was weak or because it was female, they just put it outside. Let it die. Let the wolves or whatever it might be come and eat it. To put it down by the river for the alligators, whatever it was, as terrible as that might sound, that's the way they handled the thing because people were worthless. And then Jesus comes along and he rocks the boat completely because he starts teaching this old Jewish belief that had been pretty much abandoned about the fact that people were worth God. They were worthy of his love. That they were made in his image. And that as we would soon find out, they were worth one Jesus because that's why Jesus was here to begin with. That rocked the whole thinking, and the whole system of what was going on. Do you think the Roman government jumped right on it and said, oh yeah, this Jesus guy is great, everything's great? They didn't. But what took place, if you know anything about history and anything uh, knowing about about the, the history of the Roman government, that within 300 years, and I know that sounds like a long time, but really in the history of the church and the history of all nations, it's really not. But within 300 years, the Roman government adopted Christianity as their own. Why? Because there was a group of people who set out to be different than the society that was out there. There was a group of people that wanted to show love, that when those babies were put outside, instead of letting the wolves come and get them, they would go and they would adopt them, and they would take them and they would love them. They would show love to people who didn't deserve it. They would show love by doing things that God had called them to do. Look what it says in Luke chapter 6 here, if you would. Luke chapter 6, verse 32. It says, If you only love those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Basically saying everybody can love somebody who loves them. Everybody can lend to somebody who's going to pay them back. Everybody will do good to somebody who's going to do good in return. What makes us any different? So Jesus says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. And sometimes we think of enemies as a person that's just absolutely rotten and absolutely the worst person that's out there. But when Jesus is talking here, he uses the Greek word that says, love those people who you don't get along with. How many of you guys are dreading Thanksgiving just a little bit because there's a family member you can't stand? Don't raise your hand because I don't want to see it. But you know that person. You know that person. Jesus says, love them. That's the person you're supposed to love. 
I mean, some of you are literally planning your Thanksgiving day around the fact that how long do I have to be there before it is polite to leave? You're thinking at your head, okay, if I just stay and we have to be there for at least 30 minutes after we've eaten pie, and then we can leave. And you're counting the minutes. You have that. And Christmas, same way. I grew up that way. Trust me. I know. There were days that I did not want people coming to my house. I have crazy relatives. If you don't have crazy relatives, you know why? It's because you're the crazy relative they all talk about. (laughs) I'm just going to give you that heads up right now. All of us have crazy relatives. But Jesus says, love them. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting like children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. That culture, the culture that he's talking to, found no worth in anybody. Yet Jesus is saying, do good to your enemy. Do good without expecting repayment. Lend to them. How do we do that? How can we possibly do that? Because in our minds, the first thing we think of is, if people are going to take advantage of us. If I am nice to people, that is the first doorstep for them to run all over me. But what does Jesus say is going to happen if you're nice to people? He says, if you do these things, you'll be acting as a child of the Most High. You'll be acting as a child of God. You will be one of my followers, and people will see that. Why do we want to be acting like that? Well, it says that because God was good to those who were unthankful and wicked. You know who he's talking about there? You know who he's talking about when he says there was this group of people that were unthankful and wicked? Cam, who is it, buddy? Rich people? Poor people? Me and you. That's who it is. He's talking about me and you. And some of you are like, wow, man, wicked is, that's a pretty deep word. Well, we talked about last week. Let's go back to last week. We talked about how unthankful we have a tendency to be. How ungrateful we have a tendency to be when we look things and, and we want more and not happy with what we have. And all of us fall into that trap, some of us more than others. But wicked, that's a pretty, pretty big word. Let me define for you wicked here really fast. It's saying, I know it's the wrong thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. Anybody here ever been there? Don't raise your hands. Because you probably, in the last week, have fallen into the wicked category. You probably, in the last possibly 24 hours, have fallen into the wicked category. There's a good chance you did it out there in the parking lot. Okay, let's just be honest. You fell into the wicked category. And when we do that and we get caught up in that, God was still good to us. He was good to us through that. And we should be to the, the same to those who are ungrateful and wicked to us. And that's what he's saying. Be merciful or compassionate to those people, to all people. Because why? God is merciful and he is compassionate to all people. Do good towards those who can't and won't do anything for you. And I honestly believe the first century church took this to heart. It was their platform to spread the gospel of Christ. Can you imagine how different they must have appeared to the people that were in that society? How different that must have been. They helped people. They rescued abandoned children from the doorsteps and the riverbanks. And it was their actions 
their actions that began to change the world. It's not like when Jesus left, there was this huge multitude of people that were just millions and millions to be able to go out there and change the world. There was just a few. And by their actions, they changed the world. You might be thinking, what can I do? I'm going to tell you, I don't know. And honestly, I don't care what you do. I just want you to do something. Do something. Move towards changing the world. We have all sorts of opportunities. Like I said, if you looked inside your bulletin there, there's that sheet. It's got two sides to it. It could go from sponsoring a child. You'll see we have child sponsorships over there for World Vision. It's $35 a month. Our family sponsors three. All three of them, one is a girl that's Maylie's age, one's a boy that's Peyton's age, and one's a boy that's Camden's age. And that was their gifts because every time... We go someplace, our kids expect us to bring something home to them. That's what we brought home to them. Or that's what Christy brought home when she went to a conference. She brought home three kids for us to support and for us to pray for and us to remember that we have it a whole lot better than and that we need to be there for them. I'm not rich by any means, but God has blessed me. And I can think and I would be willing to bet that you can say the same thing. This began to change the world. This thinking began to change the world that Jesus taught about. And it all started with how they treated people. My question is, we now have an opportunity today, and every day, to treat people just a little bit different. My question is, is how are you going to treat people and what can you do to make a difference? Corey, you want to run the next video? Obedience to the Great Commission is not, uh, you know, the, the special calling, the sacred few. It's really the responsibility of every follower of Jesus Christ to ask the question about how he or she can be involved in God's mission around the world, um, how they can leverage what God has given them globally. The beauty is when we in the church and just the average members of the church realize this is not this is not a mission just for others. This is for all of us. And when we're all engaged in this, then we can we can finish this task. When I look around here, I see that every person here is a creation of God. And that when Christ went to the cross, he went to the cross with these people too. One of the things that is making me very excited about this whole thing is actually being able to share with somebody who may not have heard just for the first time, just to reach one person. And as Christ said, as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it as unto me. He was talking to us more than just the homeless and the orphaned here in our own country. He was talking to us about the, about the spiritual homeless around the world. God has commanded us to take the gospel um, everywhere, from, from our backyards all the way to the ends of the earth. And as Christians, we are commanded to do that. And there is a place for everyone in missions.
from my perspective as, as your IMB missionary, I need your help. I've got colleagues all over the world who need your help. I'm willing to risk it all. Seeming that he gave it all. I will not hold back into a comfort zone from my comfort level. Shorten the hand of Christ. Shorten the hand of God. When people are dying, going to hell, needing to know there's a way their life can be changed and changed radically, I will not do it. I just will not do it. Our churches are called to combine together, use our resources together, our energies together, our giftings together to be a part of the spread of the gospel among these people. The gates of hell cannot stop the accomplishment of the Great Commission when our churches together get serious about that task. The fact that Jesus died for my sins and rose again so that I could be with God and I can have a relationship with Him. You know, there's no sacrifice. There's really no sacrifice. That's a video put out by the International Mission Board and in case you didn't know it already, we are a Southern Baptist Church, and uh, one of the things that we do, you know, we don't, we don't do a lot of the things that traditional Southern Baptist churches do, but one of the things we do is we give money to a thing called the Cooperative Program, and we also give to um, a thing called the Lottie Moon Offering, and it's something that I've been in Southern Baptist Church for nine years, and I still get them confused. There's one at Easter called Annie Armstrong that's for local missionaries, and there's one at, uh, at Christmas time for international missionaries, and and since this is the time of year, uh, we have that as an option of one of our things that we're going to do. You see, Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. We as a church would like to reach out over the next couple of weeks and months to demonstrate Jesus' love in tangible ways. So this is where I want you to take a look at some of the partnerships that we have, some of the different areas we can look at. And I'm not forcing you to do anything. I'm not going to say, hey, we have to do this. But I'm challenging you to. And over the next week, if you don't want to make that decision today, over the next week, pray about what you do want to do. Pray about how you want to get it done and where you want to, where you want to be a part of this at. Because it, it, you'll see, we have the Lottie Moon offering right there. That's what these international missionaries get supported with through the Southern Baptist Convention. One of the great things about the Southern Baptist Convention is we give money towards the convention, and then the convention divvies that money out to missionaries worldwide. And that's just awesome to me. When I was growing up, we had missionaries always come to our church, and they would come dressed in their funny outfits, and they would just plead for money. But the, because of the Southern Baptist Convention, they were able to, to support them through that. The people don't have to come back off the field for weeks at a time to try and raise money. They have that already. The, the first video or the, the middle video you saw was the Voice of the Martyrs, talking about the, the different areas of persecution that are all around. On this table over here, the same one that has the child sponsorships, there's different prayer cards for you to pray over. That's all you have to do. I'm not asking you to give. I'm not asking you to do anything. But just pray over these different churches and different people. Did you hear what she said? About 150,000 people died for their faith last year. You ever think about what if we weren't meeting in America? Do you think we'd be allowed to be meeting in a school? 
that's sponsored by the government and be in a facility like this? I mean, it's funny. A lot of people say, well, when are we going to get into a storefront or something like that? Well, a storefront that is a third this size costs about eight times more than we're paying to be here. So we really are blessed to be where we're at and meeting here and doing what we're doing and being a part of of the community. But in foreign countries, uh, they're lucky to get into a hut. They're lucky to get into places in basements where they have to meet in secret because they're afraid somebody's going to come in and beat them up. That's a crazy thing to think about. So you can pray or you can go to persecution.com and and find out all the different areas. You can donate there if you want to. Care Nut Pregnancy Center of Rio Rancho is a a, uh, pregnancy option where they they help people. It says they're a a faith-based provider of confidential loving support and free services including limited medical care. Every year about this time, they take a family or they take a, a handful of families and they they try and do Christmas for them. And what I would like to do is maybe have some of your families pick a family and pray about it over the next week. And, and she's supposed to get back to me in the next week about some families who need help. But maybe your family can just come alongside and do Christmas for a family who can't. Right here in her own backyard. Joy Junction Homeless Shelter. Lisa Huey, who's a... Uh, who's I always want to say member. We don't have a membership, so I, I can't say that. But she's been here with us since the very beginning, works down at George Junction. And uh, we have some, some people. That, uh, Mike Kramer has been doing some things with them as well. But just an option for us to, to give or to go down and donate time um, to serve breakfast, to serve meals. It always seems like Thanksgiving is the one that it probably gets packed out. But you know what? There's 364 other days of the year that, that people need to eat that are homeless as well. And uh, love to have some teams once a month, go down and just volunteer and help clean up and clean and, and serve food and things like that. See, not everything has to do with money. But the cool thing is, is I, I was looking at their, the Joy Junction Homeless uh, Shelter website, and they said if you donated $9.45, you can feed a family of five for Thanksgiving. That's a pretty cool deal. And you can do that on their website. World Vision, like I said, we have the the children over there, and they sent us nine. I'm hoping all those will be gone today. If not, they'll be back out next week. Um, but there's also something, if you don't want to do children or sponsor a child, they have a, a gift catalog that's also over there that's specifically a Christmas gift catalog, and it's something where you can buy a cow or you can buy a well or you can buy um, you know, ducks or chickens or whatever to, and, and let them, you know, you're providing for a village. And it's just a one-time gift, and that's your Christmas gift to them or whatever you want to do. That's over there as well. And then uh, even more local and, and more uh, even close to home is the food pantry over at First Baptist of Rio Rancho because this time of year they just get hammered with everybody wanting to do things. And, and they, have, um, they have the opportunity. People come in for Christmas dinners and Thanksgiving dinners. And if you want to provide that, the list is there also in your bulletin. There's so many different areas that we can help at. And... Um, like I said, we're a small church and we're going to start small, but I'm hoping that over the next years, as we continue to do this in, in November and December, that we can make this a, a Sunday that people get excited about coming to and that people get excited about how we're going to help and how we're going to reach out to the community. Now, I'm not saying we only have to do it on one Sunday, and I'm definitely not saying that we only have to help in, no, in November and December, but this is when we're going to talk about it and this is really when we're going to focus on it. And I hope that today that it wasn't a weird Sunday to you and you're thinking, oh, we only have to go to church and this is your first Sunday here and all they ever do is talk about money. Honestly, you can ask anybody who's been here from the beginning. I rarely, 
rarely talk about money because I know that's between you and God, and I'm not here to guilt you into it. I'm just showing you opportunities where you can help at. If you've ever thought, hey, where, where can I do something? How can I do something? How can I change the world? You know, reaching out to one person, you never know what's going to do to change the village that they live in or the community they live in. Or maybe it's somebody local and they'll start coming to church and how that's going to change their life and how they're going to reach out to somebody else. And you don't know the domino effect. My challenge to you today is just do something. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be your children. And we even more thank you for the opportunity to be able to reach out and help others. Each of us have been blessed physically, mentally, financially. And Lord, we just need to know how to do something with it. And like Paul said in 1 Timothy, we need to practice being rich in our good works and be good with our money and be understanding that that you are the giver of all, that every blessing comes from you. Help us to pass those blessings on to others that are less fortunate. We pray it in your name. Amen.